0: My kids love their snacks just like everyone else, but I'm really picky about what they eat, and if it's going to be something in a package, I want it to be healthy, high quality, and something that's not going to break the bank. I recently discovered Thrive Market, and they check all the boxes. My kids are loving the seaweed snacks, cinnamon applesauce, and the skinny dip dark chocolate almonds. What I love most about Thrive Market is that everything is organic and non-GMO and it's more affordable than what you'll find in the stores. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash foodissues. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a low-income family. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash foodissues. I'm always trying to get more fruits and vegetables and real foods in my kids' diets, but between school, work, sports, and everything else we have going on, I don't have a lot of time. I need simple, easy kitchen appliances that can help me save time, and the one that I can't do without is the Vitamix. When I received it as a Christmas present a few years ago, I admit I was skeptical because I already had a blender, but the first time I used it, I was hooked. Unlike other blenders, the Vitamix blends everything up into a super smooth consistency, much like a juicer would, except you get all the nutritious fiber that regular juicers leave behind. And what I love most about the Vitamix is that it isn't just for smoothies. Every Vitamix has an entire range of textures to choose from, so you can use it to make dips and spreads, nut and seed butters, hummus and guacamole. Muffins, pizza dough, plant-based milk, and frozen treats. Vitamix has been around for 70 years, and all of their blenders are powerful, durable, and built to last, and they come with a full warranty. To get free shipping off any Vitamix purchase over $50, just go to my website, julierevelant.com slash shop, and click on Vitamix. This is Food Issues, In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insight to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelon. Sugar is what childhood is made of, but studies show our kids are getting too much. So what can we do about it? You can have healthy boundaries and still have kids have sweet treats. That's Melissa Hallis, a registered dietitian nutritionist, certified diabetes educator, and nationally recognized plant-based and pediatric nutrition expert. She's also the founder of superkidsnutrition.com, the first nutrition megasite for kids and family nutrition. We'll talk about what added sugars are and the sneaky places they show up, plus easy delicious ways to offer something sweet without going overboard. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. Hi, how are you? Great. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I'm so excited to connect with you. So why don't you go ahead and tell me, how did you become a pediatric registered
1: dietitian nutritionist? Oh, sure. So, um, well, I did the traditional clinical path and um, I was fortunate enough to have a PICU, NICU exposure um and get to work in there. And then as a clinical nutrition manager, I um, expanded our NICU and PICU and outpatient pediatric coverage. And I learned a ton about PEDS, you know, working directly with patients and also then eventually overseeing and growing our program and actually getting to participate in national research. Um, and I also have an adult, you know, experience too. So although, I'm known for pediatrics. Sometimes what will happen is I'll start to see a a kid will come in with, you know, food allergies or um, childhood obesity. And then I end up working with the parents. And that's fantastic because then, you know, they're really buy in when everybody feels better.
0: Yeah, that's great. And and so what inspired you to start
1: superkidsnutrition.com? So I had, um, you know, a child and um, having the, you know, pediatric experience, I was looking online for nutrition information. Now, this is back, you know, 15 and a half years ago when there weren't dietitians online. And so you, there weren't dietitian websites. And so you couldn't find anything. And I remember looking for a specific nutrition concern and having to go to um, Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. And dig and dig and dig and you you know in so many layers before you find one little tiny snippet of like information. And I said, you know what? I think I need to develop an online pa- platform for parents, you know, with evidence based nutrition information. And we were actually the first pediatric nutrition website.
0: That's great. Yeah. I think there's such a void now. There's so many sites and so much misinformation that it's really key to have that science-based, evidence-based information for parents. So let's dive right into added sugar. So we all know that sugar isn't good for us, but really let's kind of like take a deep dive into why we really need to limit it in our kids' diets.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, sometimes we forget that you know, during times of rapid growth, like in childhood and adolescence, that, you know, kids' bodies are really sensitive to the influence of diet and activity because they're growing so fast, their cells are turning over rapidly and that makes them especially vulnerable to the effects of food and physical you know, activity and weight and even environmental damage. You know, that can occur. And so we really need to put an emphasis during this time of rapid cell growth to make sure that the genes that are being activated, right, are turning on towards health, not towards a genetic susceptibility. And sugar can actually displace some of these high-value nutrition foods that play an essential role, not just in growth but in immunity, but also cognition and genetic expression.
0: Okay That's something that we don't typically hear about and And so what about the things we we do hear about a lot in terms of um, childhood obesity, type 2 diabetes? like are these things we should be concerned about?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, first off, you know, anytime you look at childhood obesity, well, whether you know kids are really actually at a normal weight or an overweight, you know, too much sugar again displaces you know high value nutrition and micronutrients that can you know, increase um, the inflammatory process that leads to chronic disease over time. Even kids who are uh, teenagers who are overweight in adolescence have a significantly higher risk of colon cancer later in life. I mean, we're even seeing precursors um, in heart disease in children. I mean, if you look at like obesity in preschoolers, I think it's risen from around 5% in the early 70s. Uh, like 1970 to up to close to 14% today. And so we're seeing precursors to cardiac disease. They're now evident in in overweight and obese preschool age children. Wow. It's
0: scary. And what about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? Because that's something we typically see in adults, but research is showing we're seeing it in kids, right?
1: Yeah. I mean I had my my first um, child diagnosed with that probably um, I want to say, 20 years ago in outpatient pediatrics. So, you know, now we're becoming more aware of it. And that's also, you know, a disease of inactivity, not just, you know, excessive sugar or, um, you know, uh, an overconsumption of simplified carbohydrates. Um, and, and I, you know, it's, it's a shame, but I think part of the problem is, is that, you know, kids are surrounded by these heavily advertised junk foods that are low in health promoting and disease fighting substances like phytonutrients. And that's that's why I'm always telling my parents, you know, phytonutrients, kids can get excited about them. Like when I do a workshop or I work with kids and parents and I talk to them about how every colorful food has its own unique health benefit and show them how these phytonutrients fight off disease. And um, that's what the little super crew, I don't know if you're familiar, Julie, with yeah. my super crew characters. Yes. They get their powers from plant-based foods, and you know kids can understand even at a young age that certain foods can help our bodies fight away the bad guys. You know, keep germs out of our body, help us grow a healthy, strong heart. As young as four, and if we can kind of you know bring the attention away from like um, you know saying things like to our kids, like oh we're going to cut down on sugar as a family. You know, sugar's bad, and instead just make healthy eating choices fun and get them involved in the cooking process, you'll start to see that the sugar intake will decrease and whole food consumption will go up. You know, one of the things I tell my clients is like, you're sweet enough, right? (laughs) You're sweet enough, you don't need all this sugar. But, But seriously, when we look at sugar and how much it's displacing foods that are healthy, that's what we have to kind of educate parents about because, you know, added sugars are linked to some serious health concerns you know, in addition to their correlation with weight gain, because sometimes I'll hear from parents, well, my child's at a healthy weight. It doesn't matter what they eat. They can have it. Or I remember I was at a a birthday party. This was when my daughter was younger. And one of the parents was going around and offering other kids a second piece of cake, even though they were all going home with a goodie bag, you know, loaded with candy. And I had said, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't need that second piece of cake. We're fine. And her response was, well, maybe she wants it. And does it really matter? She's thin. I think it's because the mom knew I was a dietitian, but I wasn't saying it from like a place of judgment. I was saying it from a place of boundaries, creating healthy boundaries for your children. And I think what I'm starting to see more and more is kind of like a, um, a fear of eating disorders, which is legitimate, Right. But that kind of having some worry where I can't say anything to my kid, I can't be restrictive at all, I can't have these boundaries like the kitchen is closed or offering sweets in the appropriate portion size because they're afraid that their child will rebel. But you can, you can have healthy boundaries and still have kids have sweet treats like ice cream. We have ice cream in our house. But we might do some other things, like I recommended to a client recently I was working with, and um, the little girl loves to bake. And I said, well, how's that working out for the family? And she goes, well, we end up eating dessert every single night. And I said, well, how about you cut the recipe in half? Now you can have it and enjoy it for maybe one or two nights, but not for seven nights. So that is a simple and easy way to cut sugar without creating deprivation you know, with your children. The other thing you can do, and I don't, you probably do this, Julie, is you probably use fruit sometimes in your desserts, mm-hmm. you know, to cut, to cut the sugar. And so like growing up, I remember my mom would add chopped apples, baked apples into our oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. And she always said, Oh, we don't need all that sugar. Let's cut the sugar in half. And if you're growing up with half the sugar in baked goods, it's sweet enough for you. And these are the kind of things that we can teach kids. Now, if you've been eating a lot of sugar in your family, I'm working with another client. And she actually, she wrote me this really sweet email just, just last week. And she said, I was just shocked at how much sugar I was feeding my six-year-old. I had no idea. And then still you do an activity with them and you start to you know read the food labels and see how many grams of sugar people are really unaware. And, and that's okay. You have to figure out your starting point and then figure out how to cut it. But it doesn't have to be for a child like this six-year-old of this little boy, you know, he might, the mom might not be able to cut the sugar in half. She might have to cut one third and then slowly and gradually work towards less sweet foods because he, you know, has that, that taste preference now for those foods.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point. And In a future episode in this season of food issues, we're going to talk about sugar in baby food. And so, you know, kids are really getting even though it's natural sugar, they're getting a lot of applesauce in in baby food. And then in toddler years, they're getting a lot of processed foods that are high in added sugars. And so, you know, why does it affect their their food preferences and eating habits throughout their lives if they're getting a lot of added sugars early on?
1: Well, so I want to kind of start with just saying it is, it is absolutely horrifying that that, that that is true. I mean, I don't know if you saw that there was a study done, uh, maybe it was like 2018, and you know, kids as young as 19 months old were getting seven teaspoons of added sugar a day. Yeah. That's like what's in a Snickers bar. And you know, 60% of kids under the age of one are already consuming sugar. And so you're set, setting them up For this, you know, taste preference for highly palatable foods that quickly dissolve because in in your mouth, because you think about it, a lot of the foods that have sugar all often have refined carbohydrates. You know, you put them in your mouth, they quickly dissolve. You're not having the fiber to help slow down that carbohydrate release. You're not satisfied. And so even children as young as preschool age will not eat intuitively with highly palatable processed foods. And so you're creating this affinity for this this drive, you know, for those types of food as they move forward. Julie, when you're talking about how sugar affects kids' uh, food preferences, I think it's really important to look at, again, the health risk of all this added sugar, You know, because 61% of overweight children from five to 10 years old already have at least one major risk factor for heart disease. And over 25% have two or more factors. And we know that a, a diet of refined sugar, refined carbohydrates and, you know, saturated fat and less activity increases the risk of heart disease. But I think parents don't realize that young children already have the beginning of atherosclerosis. And that when we're choosing foods that are high in sugar, it's displacing, again, these foods that protect their little arteries and their little heart, but it's also increasing their risk of cancer later. And, you know, there's 400,000 cancers that happen every year that could be prevented if people just, you know, ate a little better and, and moved a little more. And again, what I think parents don't always know, because it's not, it's not in our education system, we can't expect them to know, is that it starts in early childhood. All of these diseases start in early childhood. Now, sometimes when I say that, parents start to freak out and they're like, we're we are changing everything, you know, (laughs) whole grains, you know, throwing out the sourdough bread. And it's really important to like make gradual changes slowly. Maybe if you're eating, you know, um, a whole wheat bread that has added sugar, you switch to one new brand. That's a fantastic goal for two weeks. If you do that goal for two weeks and you get your kids to transition to a lower sugar bread, you should feel really proud of yourself. You just can't have this kind of like all or none mentality. It has to be gradual because then it isn't, nobody feels like something is getting something taken away. They feel Empowered by making these slow, positive changes. And the best way to do that is to get your kids involved in trying taste testing, you know, um, having a a, a cook-off together, and really, if you need it, getting a referral to see a dietitian, because a dietitian can give advice on how to parent food. And a lot of it, Julie, comes down to semantics. Uh It's just... You know, if my kid says, I hate those beans, you know, or "I without that dressing, or I only like this dressing, or I only like my cookies this way so that you can, you know, tell a parent and advise them how to calmly react and what words to use that the research shows works, you know, because you can't let them see you sweat. The kids, you can't, you know, once they see you worry or react. Their defenses are going to go up. And I do feel like it's invaluable for, for parents who are struggling with feeding their kids healthier and trying to cut down on sugar to talk with an expert who understands, you know, the, all the aspects of behavioral change. Yeah, that is so important.
0: So one of the um, questions I think parents often have is, can sugar make kids hyper? I know with my own kids, they definitely get hyper after they eat sugar. But what does the research actually show about this?
1: So research does show that sugar does not cause hyperactivity. So I kind of, and I get this question all the time from clients, and I'll have clients who will swear, you know. But a lot, a lot of times, you know, the foods that are high in sugar could be accompanied by food additives or food dyes, which we know, of course, can increase um, hyperactivity in some children. Um, in addition, whenever you give a child even whole foods and it's unbalanced in macronutrients, they're going to peak and tank. So for example, a good example would be, um, and I've seen this in preschool snack rotations, and it's so hard as a dietitian, you know. Um, I'll see crackers and juice or, you know, crackers and fruit. When you're giving a carbohydrate, even if it's a whole carbohydrate, like a 100 percent whole grain carbohydrate, you want to accompany that with either a fat or a protein. Now, mind you, you want it to be a healthy lean, you know, lean fat or a lean protein. But that's going to give that sustainable energy. So you don't see your kids kind of peak and tank. And I think sometimes that's mistaken for hyperactivity. Okay,
0: that's interesting. So we're going to head to a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about what are added sugars exactly and why some natural sugars may actually be considered added. People often ask me how I got my kids to be such healthy eaters. And the truth is that one of the best things I did was bring them in the kitchen with me to cook. And research actually shows that kids who learn how to cook eat more fruits and vegetables are more willing to try new foods, and have healthier diets overall. If you don't know how to cook or don't like to cook, the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. The course, which was created by a mom of four and former teacher, is designed to build connection, confidence, and creativity in the kitchen. In this course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like veggie bean burritos and spaghetti squash lasagna. The course is designed for all kids ages 2 to teen and has three different skill levels. Your kids will learn how to crack eggs, cook rice, make a salad, and safely use knives, the oven, and appliances. If your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, no problem because the course has a ton of substitutions. My kids and I have taken the course and it was so easy to follow along that they even made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken the course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you're trying to cut down on processed foods and get your kids to eat more real whole foods and become healthy eaters, then the Kids Cook Real Food ECourse is for you. You can sign up for the course by going to KidscookRealFood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com com slash food issues and sign up today. So, Melissa, what are added sugars?
1: Well, they're everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the tricks I do tell my client is look for O's like O-S-E, dextrose, fructose, glucose, lactose, maltose. Just start reading and comparing labels. And, you know, you can compare two ingredient labels and choose one with less sugar. Now, you have to be careful. If this is in the ice cream aisle, you might end up getting something with um, less sugar, but way too much fat. So it's good to kind of, you know start to compare food labels and look for something that's more balanced overall. Um, and of course, you know brown sugar, corn sweetener, uh, corn syrup, oh, even um uh, fruit juice concentrates, um, you know, invert sugar. I mean the list kind of goes on <laughs> raw sugar, molasses, maple syrup I mean I could I could just keep talking about it. I think the most important thing is that you just learn to cut down because. Let's face it. I mean, sugar adds taste and flavor and we all want to enjoy the flavor of our food. We just need to cut back. So like one way you can do that is to make your own salad dressings. Yeah. Do I use honey or agave syrup or maple syrup in my salad dressings? I do, but I use less by adding more like fresh herbs and spices and really look at, you know, enhancing flavor so that sugar is just bringing out those flavors instead of being the center or the star of the dressing. Yeah. And so what's the difference between a
0: natural sugar and an added sugar? And then you mentioned honey and agave. Can those be, those are naturally occurring sugars, but can they be added sugars as well?
1: Yes. So you want to add up all your sugar, you know, any type of, whether it's honey, maple syrup, and if that's a teaspoon, that's going to count towards your total teaspoons of sugar a day. Um, But, you know, there are a little tiny bit of benefits more towards honey and and, uh, maple syrup. There are some phytonutrients, those plant-based, you know, um, phytonutrients that give every plant-based food its color. However, there's still, there's no fiber attached to it. There's limited vitamins and minerals. I mean, if you look at naturally occurring uh, sugar in milk, in milk, you're getting calcium. You know, you're getting vitamin D if it's fortified. You're getting actually a ton of of vitamins and minerals. Same thing with fruit, right? So it's a naturally occurring sugar, but you could be getting, you know, several hundred phytonutrients, some that like for blueberries. I love, I love telling uh, my, my kid clients about blueberries because they, they, most of them like blueberries, but there's so many benefits to blueberries. If if you look at the blueberry, there's a little white coating on there and that's the saponin keeps the, bug from penetrating the blueberry. But in your body, it's like soap and it helps get rid of cholesterol. But the anthocyanins, the, the phytonutrient, right? One of the many phytonutrients helps boost memory, but it also becomes incorporated into your skin cells and filters out UV light. Wow. But, and it's naturally sweet. So you can right. bake with blueberries. You can make a delicious like you know, you can add them to your oatmeal and they're going to add more flavor and sweetness. Whereas with all the phytonutrients, where if you look to honey to sweeten your oatmeal or your yogurt, right, you're going to miss out on those amazing phytonutrients. So can you still add honey? Sure. But add less and choose more of the whole fruit. So
0: Melissa, can our taste buds tell the difference between natural and added sugars?
1: Yes. So each type of sugar definitely has a distinct level of perceived sweetness. Um, Even monk fruit is like significantly sweeter. Um, For instance, fructose and glucose have the same chemical formula, but they have different molecular structures. So fructose is like, I don't know, one, one, like one and a half on average times sweeter than sucrose. So, you know, you're going to, and you're going to have a taste preference. Like, some of my clients love maple syrup, but they don't like honey or they don't tolerate honey and they can tolerate maple syrup. So again, all of these added sugars are accents. <laughs> They're not center stage. Use, use less of them and see which ones you um, either perceive as more sweet. And so maybe use less of it or you just like it more. So
0: what are the recommendations for added sugars with our kids and how do we kind of make this really easy and figure it out? Because I don't think most parents are sitting there writing a log of how much added sugar their kid got that day, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. They are definitely not. And that's why I really encourage them. Like, you know, you can go to Super Kids Nutrition and search sugar and we will have endless ways for you to cut down sugar, make things naturally sweet and learn about the calculations because just one little activity that I've done with most of my clients, you know, when we look at um, reading food labels, I have the sugar activity. It's just eye-opening. They start to really realize, oh my gosh, I think we're, you know, my seven, my six and seven-year-old is getting, you know, what I as an adult should be limiting my sugar to, (laughs) you know, so, um, and different organizations have, you know, different recommended amounts, but the American Heart Association says that, you know, women should get around six teaspoons, um, no more, that men should get around nine teaspoons. And they say that kids two to 18 should have less than 25 grams of added sugar or six teaspoons. Now I say as a pediatric nutritionist, that's too much. I mean, I think that there, who knows, maybe there was some, um, industry, you know, push back mm-hmm. on the science and that's why the numbers are high. But what two-year-old needs a hundred calories of sugar a day? Right. Wow. I mean, yeah. you know, you just picture a little two-year-old. I mean, first off, are they not like the cutest in the world with their big heads you know, <laughs> their, before their bodies grow to their head? I mean, their bodies are growing so quick. Their brains are developing just like you, you can see the difference from day to day in their perception, their understanding. And imagine, you know, giving them 100 calories a day through sugar, it's going to be displacing all those things that impact IQ. For, for example, choline. We know that choline intake in young kids is correlated to higher um, and IQ as adolescents. All these little micronutrients, they are hard to get. And if we start loading up on sugar and follow those recommendations for young kids, it is going to be displacing what they need. And I have to say, as an adult, you know, I am um, I track sometimes, I, I do it like four to five days a month. I'm part of this app. It's, it's called My Menu USA, and we have this chron, uh, chronometer as part of it. I'm sure you've heard of chronometer. They track all your micronutrients and macronutrients. And- I did mine and Julie. I eat like so incredibly healthy. <laughs> <I have like laughs> I'm sure <playing> you do. <laughs> out, you know, like plain, not fat yogurt at breakfast. I put in all my fruits. Sometimes I heat it up, even the fresh grapes, because it gets like sweeter and, and you can really taste the, sh- the natural sugar. Uh-huh. I added my walnuts and chia seeds and cinnamon. And, you know, I eat for lunch. I might have like whole grain toast and egg and, and a huge salad. And I look at my micronutrients and I'm like, how am I still low in B vitamins? Then if I eat. <laughs> Then I eat my whole grains, right, instead of my beans, because I'm like, oh, I'm not getting enough B vitamins. Now I'm low in magnesium. Like, really, our nutrition counts. And you, you can see it. The The problem is, is that we don't see it in the kids. We see it in the adults. But we don't know it's building over time. So I'll give you the perfect example of, of why, why we don't want to displace good nutrition by adding, having you know sugar calories take up too much space so if you look at adults who are admitted into the er and maybe they come in with something like heart palpitations you know 10% of adults who are admitted for heart palpitations have low iron but let's say they 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 check a complete metabolic panel and they're like oh the hemoglobin looks fine but they don't check ferritin which is what we know as pediatric dietitians we have to check we have to look at ferritin and it gets missed in adults right They give a medication to stop the heart palpitations, but they never correct the nutrient deficiency. And over time, that leads to congestive heart failure. There are tons of examples like this in pediatrics too. Look at uh, iron levels and intelligence. We know how critical iron is. Or um, for example, I was working with a family, they're eating a ton of refined carbohydrates. And um, the mom, I'm working with the whole family. So there's a couple young kids and an infant. And the infant isn't getting the vitamin D supplementation. We know that that can lead to rickets. Like all of these micronutrients count. And we've kind of got into this mentality of, I don't want to deprive my kid. I don't want them to then rebel and want so much sugar. And we've let, we've let go of these healthy boundaries that my generation grew up with. Yeah, The kitchen was closed at a certain time. Right. These were the snack options. This is what you had. It's turned into, I don't want my kid to feel left out at lunch. So I pack them a treat because that's what all the other kids have in their lunch box. Then at the after school care, it's fruit juice, not fresh fruit. Then they still want to have dessert and ice cream with their older siblings when they come in. And the treat food now, I look at the percentage of treat food. And even snack foods that are treat foods, and it's around 35% of the calories. And that is displacing all of these things that lead to, you know, a, adult disease, right? If you figure we know um, a high fiber diet, you know, decreases the risk of pretty much everything, including osteoarthritis of the knees, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, if we don't start them out on this journey of whole healthy foods with these, with less sugar, it leads to these micronutrient deficiencies over time. Now, of course, I can't validate that by saying I have some like retrospective, you know, 30 year study, Mm -hmm. but we, but we can look at that kids are getting too much sugar by showing these, you know, going over the statistics like, for example, you know, teenagers getting, you know, anywhere from three to 400 calories of sugar a day. We know if they're taking in that many calories from sugar, they are absolutely displacing these key nutrients that will keep them from getting heart disease, cancer, and all these other health issues as they age. Yeah,
0: this is also important. And I think it's something we just don't talk about as a country. We we want to give our kids what they want and then we handle it when they're adults and they're facing all these, you know, chronic diseases and, and everything then. Um, and I think the other problem with sugar, with added sugars, is that they're basically everywhere. And so we're exceeding, We're, we're most of us, I think, are exceeding those limits pretty quickly throughout the day. So can you talk about that kind of? Where are these sugars showing up and we're not even realizing it?
1: Um, I'd say for my clients, a lot of times it's like um, cereal bars and snack food, um, even like pita chips and crackers. Um, you know, the crackers, um, I, this is totally wildly inappropriate, but I used to call the crackers baby crack because I am telling you, ki- the kids would just want to eat the refined crackers over and over again. It's like, so much sugar is in these everyday snack foods that people think are healthy because it says whole grain yes. or fruit flavored. Or, so I, I, I find that, you know, that that comes up a lot. Um, definitely yogurt. You know, now at least we can distinguish with the new food label, the difference between the milk sugar and the added sugar. But, you know, just even adding like fresh fruit or heated fruit, frozen cherries heated in the microwave mixed in with yogurt is delicious. Um, cereals, lots of added sugar in cereals. I mean, many of them contain, I would say the sugar cereals that my clients are eating that are whole grain have at least two teaspoons of sugar. That's one of the first things we address is, you know, choosing a lower sugar cereal or even cutting their high sugar cereal with a low sugar cereal and then getting them, you know, over time to try things like whole grain avocado toast, you know, Mm -hmm. and some some fun things. Um, Bottled sauces, definitely. And I love condiments. I'm like a huge condiment person. I mean, I like sriracha on my tofu. Um, So a lot of times, you know, trying to figure out how you can make those three ingredient sauces with less sugar yourself, adding in a lot more herbs and spices for flavor, fruit chews. Oh, I mean, I just feel like every kid I know is just, you know, it's almost like they have gummy bears. What's in your backpack? Might <laughs> you, know, you could yeah. them. it would be like nine out of 10 kids have like gummy bears, um, sugar, sweetened beverages, you know, one soda is going to exceed the recommended, um, sugar intake for an adult, um, according to the American Heart Association's guidelines. And, you know, there are people who drink soda then have salad dressing and ketchup and flavored yogurt and fruit chews and, you know, um, jam and jelly probably is another one. Um, <clears throat> so there's definitely, you know, a lot of, uh, oh, even plant-based milks, you know, can have, can have added sugar. I mean, I choose unsweetened soy milk. I love it. Um, you know, so just comparing again, labels and seeing, and just don't be fooled by the positive claim, turn it around and look at the ingredients and it takes time, you know, and practice. So what are some easy,
0: other easy, practical ways that parents can limit sugar added sugars in their kids' diets?
1: Well, one of the tips I already gave, which I love because I just think it's fantastic, is like when you are baking at home, cut the recipe in half. Because you might not have the strength to freeze it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> at least that's how it is in my house. Like if I'm I'm making something, I'm like, oh man, I'm just gonna want those cookies for dinner. <laughs> so, so um sometimes I can freeze them if I like strategically hide them for myself as if that works, but somehow it does. You know, I'll put them like, Underneath layers of frozen vegetables, and then I'll discover them three months later, and I'm like, oh, I can have some cookies. (laughs) Um, You know, if your kid really only likes a sweetened yogurt, then maybe try smoothies because you can, once you blend the frozen fruit with a plain unsweetened yogurt, you add in some nut butter, some oats. Um, You can even do a little tiny bit of juice, like a splash of pomegranate juice or a splash of orange juice. Um, to give it a little more sweetness, but not, you're not getting like more than two ounces. Um, So yeah, I think, and making homemade things, you know, homemade granola bars. And I, you know, let's face it, everybody is so busy today that a lot of my clients are overwhelmed at work. So they don't have the time to cook in the kitchen. And I'm like, I totally get it. I'm a food assembly person. There's a lot of things that you can assemble. Granola bars, you know, you can do like a raw cookie bite, you know, and you can use dates like we just my daughter and I just made a fruit crumble and we baked um, oats with a plums, chopped grapes and blackberries. We essentially took every fruit that looked like it wasn't looking that good. You know, and I didn't want to I didn't want to I'm always trying to say, like, let's not waste food. So my daughter, who does not like dates, said, why don't you blend the dates with the oats and it'll be like brown sugar crumble. Wow. That sounds awesome. It was so delicious. We did a healthy butter substitute. And, you know, the dates really made it so that you didn't have to add any honey or maple syrup, but dates are loaded with fiber, vitamins, and minerals. Yeah. Um, So it's, again, choosing that natural, you know, that natural fruit. Now, if you were to eat that and you didn't have any added fat in there, that's when your kid might seem hyperactive. But you can add in some nuts or a healthy butter substitute, or you can even use some olive oil in there. And then again, watching the portion size when you do indulge, whether it's an all-natural fruit-based sweetened dessert or, you know, a dessert made with added sugar, it's what's the proper portion size for my energy level and my body type. You know, I grew up, I was definitely curvy. I'm still a little more curvy and I exercise every day. I eat right. And growing up, I remember my sister could eat like twice as much as me, you know? <laughs> And, you know, she's blessed with this, like, incredible metabolism. And you also have to eat for, you know, how, for your body type in a way. And it doesn't mean, you know, I I was eating from a point of deprivation. It's just, you know, what's a healthy balanced portion size for my height and my, you know, uh, I guess my metabolism in a way. It's kind of hard. You have to be careful because, you know, that's something I would probably share with a dietitian, but caution a parent because you don't want parents focusing on weight. Right. I mean really they have to be focusing on things like, hey, did you know that these foods, you know, protect us from germs and these foods help us think better and have a healthy heart and they taste good. Don't forget about the emphasize the taste. Don't overuse the word healthy.
0: Yeah. And I think also leading by example. So like you said, cooking with your kids, finding new recipes, eating meals together, that all is so effective in, in teaching them healthy eating habits.
1: And it is, you know, kids will mimic what their parents do. And this goes for, you know, beyond eating. Like I I always thank my parents because I grew up and my mom, like I said, she cut the sugar in all the recipes. We had millet you know, in the seventies and my parents didn't drink either. Like they had an occasional glass of wine, but they weren't like unwinding every night with cocktails, you know? Uh-huh. And so I feel like I kind of grew up in that environment of balance. And what's happened today compared to when, when I grew up is that we're out of balance in a lot of ways um, with overconsumption. And often we think, well, I'll just, you know, parents will think, well, I might just have to go on a statin or go on a drug or a medication and food really is the best medicine. And, you know, spending time with your kids, there's so many benefits to, to even cutting a sugar recipe, figuring out what will, what will the, um, what are the new measurements? There's some math involved you know, um, focusing really on um, how can this taste good? Let's try it two different ways. Maybe even cutting the recipe in half and trying two different ways to cut the sugar. Maybe one with dates, maybe one with um, prunes. And, you know, having them do a taste test, test and and rate it and, you know, see who can come up with a, the best recipe. But again, when you're talking about kids about cutting back on sugar, you're not saying things like, we're cutting back on sugar as a family. It's more like, Let's try this tasty new recipe together, or let's look online for a few recipes. I thought it would be fun if we made our own homemade salad dressing. Um, I I think that's what it really comes down to, and it's, it's the time investment will completely pay off. I mean, to be able to know that what you're doing now will protect your child for life. You love them now. You teach them to look both ways when they cross the street. You tell them to put their sunblock on to protect themselves from, from uh, skin, you know, sun damage and skin cancer. And it's the same thing with nutrition. What we feed them now is just as critical as looking both ways when they cross the street or applying that sunblock. It's, it's giving them a lifelong skill, especially for young children. So when they hit adolescence, where sugar intake tends to greatly increase, they'll already have this foundation of health and taste and, and solid, healthy taste preferences, right? Yeah. So that they don't, um, you know, really have a big uh, a decrease in diet quality.
0: Melissa, this is all great stuff. Can you tell me where listeners can go to learn more about you and your work?
1: Definitely. Well, I would love for them to visit uh, superkidsnutrition.com. Um, We have so many incredible resources from printable guides um, to just fun activities you can do with your kids to my super crew books, which were uh, focus group tested through CDC funding um, for uh, kids ages three to 11. So they're an invaluable source. And then I'd love for them to check out My Menu USA, where I I started this um, amazing um, program where... Every week, parents can get exclusive super crew adventures, and it talks about everything like taste acceptability, textures, temperatures, ways to prepare foods in different ways to get your kids to try healthier options. And of course, we do lots of fun, healthy, low sugar desserts, and it's all exclusive through My Menu USA.
0: Excellent. And we will link to that in the show notes. Melissa, thank you again for all this great information and your time today.
1: Well, I'm so happy you invited me. I really appreciate it, Julie. And and thank you so much for getting this important message out to parents. Wow, I really
0: enjoyed that episode with Melissa Hallis, especially when she talked about balance and boundaries. I'd love to hear what you liked about this episode or any of the episodes. All you have to do is go to JulieRevelant.com click on podcasts, find the episode and click on the button to record a voicemail. Also be sure to go into Apple podcasts and leave a review and a rating so we can reach more people. I'm Julie Revelant, and thank you for listening to food issues. You can connect with me on julierevellon.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.